every time I create a new body of work, people are like, oh, this is your best. I thought your last one was your best. Now this is your best. And I think um, that exploration is just really important for me and for my um, being and my practice. Hi, welcome to Life on the Land, a Gracie Her podcast telling stories about rural and regional women across Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for this episode. The land has a deep and enduring effect on today's guest. Julia Roche is an artist who lives on her family's farm outside Wagga Wagga in the heart of the Riverina in New South Wales. Jew is part of a new generation of artists coming from regional Australia. To stand in front of Jew's large, abstract landscapes is to bear witness to her inner world. Her paintings are evocative, visceral, layered and incredibly expressive. When not painting in her studio, an age-old woolshed, Juju is painting outside and by moonlight, really distilling her pieces into what she can hear, smell, feel and taste rather than relying on eyesight and aesthetics alone. In this conversation, we talk about Julia's practice, how she has balanced commercial viability with her creativity, and how she works from a place of abundance rather than scarcity. We also talk about disability and inclusivity in the art world, and Julia's personal and working relationship with her vibrant older sister, Jackie, who is also an artist and who has Down syndrome. We kick off our conversation with what life was like growing up on the land. We grew, yeah, our farm's about 20 kilometres south of Wagga and um, I lived here with my mum and dad and my sister Jackie and my brother Will Um, and we had an awesome, I think, you know, really fun childhood with lots of space and um lots of activities and um yeah mum um and dad divorced when I was in year two and mum moved to town for a little bit and then um to another little farm on the other side of Wagga so um yeah I've had a very kind of rural upbringing I guess and um yeah I loved it I you know and, and I feel like my house was the house with all my friends we all kind of hung out at it was the place to be we used to swim in the dams dad would give us a dollar every time we caught a leech <laughs> and so we'd all stand there still and then run out screaming and be pulling leeches off us to make money <laughs> um and oh, putting so, your body yeah, on the no, line we had a, yeah we did exactly i have heard there's health benefits to leeches too now so that's good <laughs> um, um yeah so really a really fun, healthy, I think, childhood and, um, you know, pretty active and, uh, yeah, very lucky. Is anybody else in the family artistic? Where did your artistry come from? It's funny. People often ask that. So um, my sister is very creative um, and so people often ask, you know, is mum or dad? Neither of them are probably artistic from a you know painting or drawing point of view um although dad is an incredible drawer i've seen some um older drawings he did years and years ago when i was little or before i was even born um and he's kind of both mum and dad are creative in their own ways um their own senses mum's you know plays a bit of piano and speaks a bit of french and you know she's style has a very distinct style and i think that's her creative expression and and dad um, is very creative in his thinking, I think probably from more of a business perspective. Mm. So it's not not the way we kind of typically see creative expression, but I think that's his way of, yeah. Farmers are often so creative because they have to innovate. Ah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he loves, you know, he solders together old metal things and makes crazy seats and so he is he actually really is creative he if someone met him down the street they wouldn't say oh god that man's a creative human (laughs) being because he doesn't kind of come across like that but yeah you're right it's just uh, we you know yeah both both my parents probably really are very confident in their own you know outlets so yeah you don't need a hipster bun and an ironic 
yeah. beard <laughs> and be That's flashing right. a lot of ankle above your sockless loafers to be an artist. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Especially not in Wagga. I don't think that would fly. <laughs> and uh, were you close to your siblings growing up? Yeah, very close. So Jackie is uh, 30, uh, 40. She turned 40 this year and Will's 42. Um, and yeah, we're pretty close. I mean, I think my memory was, so my brother was six years older than me. I think I really annoyed him and I was annoying. Like I've got memories of being pretty annoying um, <laughs> to him when he was, so he was like year seven, I was year one or kindy even. Um, um, and then Jackie, I think I just followed her around like a bad smell, um, which she didn't mind. She was really inclusive, which was good. So, and then I think as we've gotten older, we just get along really well. And I think, I don't know, like, so Jackie's Down syndrome, she's, she's 40. And I think maybe having her in between Will and I changed the dynamics of maybe what a standard, you know, three kid um, dynamic looks like mm. you know I think we're really lucky we've always really got along and kind of I think once I kind of stopped annoying Will as a little sister I think we kind of got I think we all get along and enjoy each other's company and we've all you know since married and Will's got three kids and I've got three kids and Jackie's the best auntie so we kind of you know obviously relationships have changed and morphed and yeah we still kind of really love hanging out we try and get together as much as we can when did you realize as a kid that Jackie was different I had a chat with mum a couple of months ago about this I don't think there was a definitive moment or time when I realized I didn't know for a long long time because she was just my sister and she's also very um obviously with Downs there's particular characteristics that set them apart but that is that she was all I had ever known so I kind of didn't see I, I still even because I'm so used to her and adore her so much I still don't I find it hard to kind of often see those characteristics mm. um but I just adored her and like literally I think mum just says that I just thought she was the bee's knees and just wouldn't leave her alone for the first kind of six years of the, my life and then it probably was maybe when maybe our maturity levels were starting to equal up level and I think probably my first memory might have been which is quite late like I would have been I don't know eight or nine and we're mum had dropped us to the local pool and I remember boys were being mean and I was getting a little bit torn or anxious which I feel sad to say now but you know, I was only young and I guess developing and trying to work out where my place was. And I remember boys were being mean and I was kind of confused. Do I kind of be with my sister and have her back? Mm. Obviously my thinking wasn't this mature at that stage. I was more just thinking, shit, this is embarrassing. Mm. What do I do? Mm. Um, so I reckon that was probably my first really strong realization that she was different or seen as different. Of course she's different. Like we're all kind of different from each other but seen as particularly different because and I also think it happened late in life because mum and dad were so keen and eager and incredible at involving Jackie into everyday activities and everyday life that she was another member of society and she played we, we played weekend sport together you know she was at everything with us doing everything and she's super capable and I guess she developed so well because of all the opportunities that um although she does definitely has differences she was yeah a part a part of life and so there was no reason for me to kind of notice it any earlier I guess yeah what were some of the uh memories or moments that you really look back on and and realize that your parents did a an amazing job at helping to ensure that Jackie was a part of of the social fabric of, of everyday life from the day she was born, because I've asked mum, you know, this conversation has come up a few times, I guess, particularly when I was starting to consider having babies, that idea. I mean, we all have, you know, generally, unless you ask not to have it, have the test to um, see if, you know, to make, to make sure basically that your baby doesn't have Down syndrome. And then that's mm. a decision you need to make. 
And so I guess this conversation came up a lot, you know, probably six, seven years ago when I, when Mick and I were talking about having babies. Um, I, from the day she was born, you know, mum, mum said, you know, that she got, there was a lot of support in the hospital, also a little bit of confusion and cause you know, there was no testing 40 years ago. So she came out and it was a surprise. Um, but that, you know, mum and dad were like, she's a healthy little girl. She's a very healthy, she didn't have any kind of um, really severe heart kind of concerns. And so they were just stoked that she was a happy. And I'm sure that there was kind of, <clears throat> I'm sure that there were concerns back then, but mum's memory is really just that, you know, how lucky they've got a healthy baby girl. And But some of the responses from people around her, I think they found quite shocking. You know, there was some kind of condolence letters saying I'm really sorry to hear and they're probably a little bit confused but as to why that was you know why people were but they just I don't I guess they just moved forward with Mm. all the knowledge they had and all the love they had and like any child really all they needed was love and Mm. a little bit of um understanding and a little bit of patience and um so I think just that idea of um acceptance which we don't like because we like to control kind of our narrative and Mm. when you have a baby you don't think your baby's gonna Mm. probably have any kind of disability or concerns but um you know they just move forward and I don't know there's a particular story that I love and and it probably this the kind of ethics or philosophies behind it follow me with my teaching of my kids and for myself through and that's um Jack used to have to walk from her supported school. Um, she went to a beautiful school in town called Willens Hill for um, kids with disabilities, a variety of disabilities. And she had to walk past a big high school to get to my primary school. And she was getting teased by some boys and girls who were kind of, you know, hanging at the bus stop, I guess, calling not very nice names out, young, young kids, young high school kids. And um, by the time Jack got to me and mum would pick us up, you know, she was a little bit upset or confused. Um, anyway, mum had kind of, I, I don't know if she kind of went and observed it one day. I'm, I can't remember. But by the time, the second or third time she walked past and these kids, mum had suggested Jack walk up to them and introduce herself and say, hi, I'm Jackie and, you know, I'm 13 years old and um, I've got Down syndrome. Like, what's your name? And have a good chat. And then it was kind of from then on, every time she walked past, they would all yell out, Hey, Jack, you know, how's your day? And just have a good conversation. I was thinking, m- my instincts as a parent would be to like probably wrap her in cotton wool and go and pick her Completely. up and not let her even be exposed to that situation. Whereas mum and dad have really worked hard, of I guess, letting go of that fear and really pushing her to kind of manage situations on her own. And that has built her confidence mm. like it would, like it does for all of us. Mm. Um, and she handles situations. Look, she's got her particular characteristics, which may be related to downs or not just, just being a human being as we all do, um, you know, which can be quite challenging at times, but she's generally a pretty intuitive, mature thoughtful person and she can handle these situations when prepped Mm. um you Mm. know so I think that they're my biggest kind of taking from their parenting is just to you know arm her with all the skills you know maturity and development to to teach everybody else about difference and be accepting of it I think because I mean there's nothing more beautiful than watching other people learn and then you know, admire and embrace. And yes. I think that's what Jackie's quite good at doing. She is an open heart. She knows everyone. She's basically like Miss Wagga. She she's <laughs> she everybody knows her. She knows everybody. She knows every council person and um and I think maybe her familiarity with people can scare people sometimes is probably yeah. in the past, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, Whereas she, she's just eager to be liked and to be known and to be seen and heard and like, like us all. Um, so I think that bit of difference, once people understand that, they actually really love her for that. But I think maybe for people who haven't been around, around anyone with disability, they, that scares them. Yeah. But it's really not to be scared of. It's yeah. not to be scared of. Yeah. 
I just think that is the most beautiful story and such a gorgeous message, you know, as someone who's pretty relatively new member of the, of the parents club with a seven month old, Mm. I dread the idea of him being bullied or, you know, being Mm. sad or anxious. And I really admire your mum's attitude towards that because that is how we build resilience. You have to go through some tough times to understand or have the toolkit to, yeah, yeah, go through it later on in life for those who have children and children are uh, the mirror to us all. And they're pretty open. Mm. They're very transparent. You know, how do you approach conversations with children? Do you think around people with difference and um, mm. perhaps those who, you know, uh, aren't typical of who they see in their everyday life? <clears throat> It's a really good question and it's something that, you know, even I'm, so I'm introducing, I think about this with my kids because, I mean, they're, um, they obviously see Jackie, you know, all the time and Jackie's a big part of their life and I actually don't even know if they know she's got a disability yet and we, I mean, I've, I kind of talk about it really openly because I don't, it's not taboo and, mm. and I don't want it to be but also I don't want it to be kind of, you know, something that kind of, titles her too early on because she just is who she is as a human being as well so it's it's a bit of a fine line but I just my biggest thing and I I guess I can talk about this quite openly because I have grown up with a sister with a disability um, but then I've still struggled with it and that is just that idea of being comfortable with difference where all we all you know and social media has kind of probably got a lot to kind of answer for from this perspective, but even before social media, we all kind of thrive to be accepted and to be kind of, I guess, on some level, like fit in. Mm -hmm. And I think for starters, I think language at home is really important. And the idea of, you know, just talking about and not even disability, just differences. I mean, it's everywhere anyway. Mm -hmm. So regardless if someone looks different they might look the same as everyone else but they behave differently or vice versa so I think I think um positive encouraging um open language at home is a really good place to start and my other thing that I have kind of my husband and I kind of have implemented with our kids is you can look and you can stare and you can admire but say hello don't just look and stare, you know, say, gosh, hi. And, you know, that there was an ad years ago and, and my daughter pretty much reenacted the ad. She was looking at this beautiful dark lady in the um, brown lady in the supermarket and Rosie looked up and just said, you're beautiful, you know, and she was looking, the lady was so stoked. And I think there's a, a people are afraid to engage about difference and it's not, it's not, a, it's not naughty and it's not wrong. It's just, we get scared. And mm. I think it's just about opening dialogue to, um, yeah, talking about things and asking questions you're allowed to ask. And if somebody isn't comfortable about answering, we'll be okay with that too, you know, yes. walk away and yeah. be okay. I, I respect that, you know, maybe it wasn't my business, but I just, it's sad to me if people get scared of asking and scared of admiring difference because, um, I mean, it's really there to be celebrated. Um, what, what Jackie brings to the table far outweighs um, anything negative that, you know, anything negative. I mean, there really isn't anything negative. She gets, she's very independent. And I know other families have much more dependent kids with disability um so you know that's hard work but again I don't know I think that the learnings they bring to society are really important and really need to be celebrated and so I I, yeah I guess it's just on a basic day-to-day just when you know when they're down the street and you see you know if they are looking it's okay to look don't you know I, I don't I think it's that thing where people, parents like stop staring. It's not about stop staring. It's, you know, just if you're, if you want, if you're interested, go and say g'day, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, let it be a part of their everyday. Don't make them feel shame for looking because that chances is that person does look different to them and that's okay. It's just a, a learning and a development and um, getting them feeling comfortable with the fact that everybody, you know, is and looks and sounds different. 
Yes. I really like that approach. Mm. And there's a, um, it's kind of interesting, this idea of it's almost engaging with the elephant in the room. I remember very vividly, and this is an extremely different example, but when a very dear friend of mine died, people um, wouldn't say her name and they, it was Mm. almost as if they thought by not uh, talking about her, I wouldn't then think about it, but I was yeah. thinking about it every second of the day. And all I wanted to do was talk about her and talk, say yeah. her name. And I think it's quite uh, similar. Well, I guess it, it could be similar in, in this space in that this is yeah. just the way it is. So let's talk about it. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. embrace it and, and bring yeah. it out and into our dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and if you happen to, say something that somebody might feel like talking about, well, they'll let mm. you know and be okay that yeah. that's the case too. Exactly. Like, you know, because I think people prefer to not say anything than say it on the off chance it might not be the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to learn mm. if you kind of behave like that. So, oh. um, yeah, that's a, that's a, I have spoken to a friend about a similar um, kind of situation as to what you were just saying and they were saying, you know, I love his, I love I love my son's name being brought up because it lets me know that everybody's still thinking of him. And I was thinking, yeah, it's beautiful. Whereas I can kind of, it's really comes down to that thing about people feeling uncomfortable. Mm. And the intention is pure. Yeah. You know, their intention is to, to not offend or to not cause um, heartache. But I think it's like you say, nobody owes you anything. And if you want to engage with somebody and they don't necessarily want to engage back or they're having a bad day, that's okay. Don't let it deter you for next time. Yeah. But I I really agree with that attitude. Yeah. 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 And what's Jackie up to now? Oh, what is Jackie not up to is probably the question. She is a very busy human being, her and her husband. So Jackie got married um, to a boy, a beautiful boy called Kane, who um, she went to school with. So she's married and they live independently in town. Um, they have a carer that goes around twice a week just to help, you know, do their weekly shop and, um, and you know, make sure everything's clean and tidy. But um, Jack... Now her weeks are pretty full. Mum and dad have just kind of, she's pulled back a little bit. She works at the um, recycling, the local recycling um, plant, I guess. I don't know what you call it, recycling centre, um, along with Kane. And it's a really good supported um, workspace for people with disability alongside, um, you know, other people. And she now goes to yoga on Monday, music on Monday afternoon, a full day of art on Tuesday at the um, Riverina Art Factory, which is a supported studio group in Wagga, which is unreal. They've got, like, I, you know, encourage everyone to get on and have a look at their Instagram or website. It's called the Riverina Art Factory. Um, They've got, I don't know, maybe 15 artists with disability and there is some incredible work coming out of there. Um, Geordie and Leanne, who kind of run that, just do the best job. And so Jack's there on a Tuesday and a Thursday now. Um, and then she works Wednesday, Friday. So she's busy. They play soccer. They temp in bowl on a Saturday morning. <laughs> um, and they have other social. So they're just, they um, ride their bikes around town, which is kind of what they're known for. They're in a high vis on a bike. That's probably <laughs> my sister. And um <laughs> And, um, yeah, so they're just busy. And Jack's got a couple of exhibitions coming up through the Art Factory, um, which is really exciting. She's been working. She just opened one. She's worked on um, an exhibition of beautiful drawings on with, oh, like, surrounding the Jungle Book theme. Um, and, they're, yeah, they're really they, – they, that was an awesome exhibition. So um, she's working on a collaborative show coming up with them. And then I think she's got another solo at the end of the year. So – well, you have <coughs> exhibited with Jack uh, a couple of times, haven't you? What was that experience mm. like exhibiting with your sister? Yeah, it was really, it was awesome. So we did a show oh, some years ago now. Um, what, it was through Eastern River. It was through a few different bodies that kind of organised this show. Sarah McEwen um, was one of the main kind of organisers. She's a local um, terrific artist and 
I guess, art advocate. Um, and she, and it was basically uh, four artists with a disability um, matched with four emerging artists. And so Jack and I got paired together, which was pretty cool. And she came up to Sydney a few times and we created an exhibition um, of works on tiles. And then um, we were able, you know, we're lucky enough to exhibit that at the Wagga Art Gallery, Gallery with the six other artists. So it was called Eight Artists and it was really just exploring, I guess, you know, collaboration and collection between, you know, two artists with different visions, I guess. Um, mm. And then, you know, once the work came together, it was really interesting to see how the works all kind of responded to get to each other and how the artists work together. And I think it was probably as much as it was aesthetic, a really, a really interesting um, relationship building exercise and, you know, exploration of different um, artistic minds coming together. Um, so that was really fun. And then we, and then I spent a bit of time at the art factory working with Jack last year and we made a, um, just, you know, it was time we both experimented with some different materials. So we made a, we got the clay out and made a, um, a family portrait of our immediate family out of clay. And we did these figurines. Um, and with each person, we kind of thought about their most um, obvious characteristic or obvious um, hobby or desire. And we added that into the kind of portrait. So um in it mum's collecting the eggs mum's um, got a little bowl of eggs and um dad dad's having a dairy <laughs> dad's having a dart <laughs> and auntie Sue's is having a glass of wine and um and and so on and so on the boys our nephews have got soccer balls in front of them and you know rosie's in her ballet outfit and so there yeah, that was really fun so at my last exhibition i had a little independent show uh end of last year and jack and i exhibited that series of works um and that, that body came out of the art factory, really. That was where we created everything. And, um, and it was really well received because I think people could really relate to all the different kind of characteristics of, the, of, each, of each family member. Oh, it does you know? make and me like, wonder and, what and my really... characteristic would be. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lady, I, I've told this story before because it just made me laugh. I was saying, well, it's not for sale, but this, this little body of work is more of a, you know, a thing for us to keep and yeah. and have in the family but I had it we had it on display and it looked really cool like it looked fun and I think everyone knew it was a collaboration between Jack and I so a lady came up and she said oh, that's Suze and she's drinking wine and I'm Suze and I'm drinking wine I need to buy it <laughs> and I said oh it's not for sale but I'm so glad you relate <laughs> so there was some fun it was just a really fun interactive exhibition and I think there's space there for Jack and I to really develop on that because people loved it and it was really good for Jack and I to both put down our paintbrushes and you know play with a new medium and explore that so um I think there's yeah there's capacity to work and develop that for you know maybe something in the future is this the exhibition that jackie um very kindly gave uh, an opening speech on your behalf that's exactly right so jackie is not opposed to um kind of an you know a, a speech last minute drop of a hat whether or not she's invited or not it's it's um it doesn't matter she turned up to my to my opening night, which where she also, where we had this collaborative, um, you know, artwork on show um, straight from a Halloween party. And she was head to toe green. I can't even remember what the character she was. Like, I don't know. I can't remember. And she um, turned up and she did, she did an um, impromptu speech, which was really lovely, for dressed at, at an art opening in Halloween. So she'd ridden her bike in. And did a big doughy as she got in there and then got off and did a speech. So, but that's just true to Jack's style. Like she, her and my brother, she emceed um, Nick and my wedding and um, she did an awesome job. And when you ask her, you, you know, people say, oh, you know, remember when you, when you were emceed Julia and uh, Julia and Mick's wedding, she says, yeah, I, I creamed it. I did really well, didn't I? <laughs> she, she knows how good she is. You don't oh have to ask. God. Give me some of that yeah. confidence, Jackie. I know, exactly, Please. yeah. 
This episode of Life on the Land is brought to you by us, by Crazy Her, the magazine that hopefully lies next to your bed or takes pride of place on the coffee table. Save yourself from ever missing an issue by jumping on board our latest offer, which has been hugely popular. If you subscribe to two or three years of Crazy Her, four issues each year, you'll be gifted a stunning pair of Peggy and Twig earrings. As I said, this offer has been hugely popular. You guys are loving it. So make sure you get in before stocks run out. Grazyher.com.au. Just treat it like a double Christmas present. Perhaps a magazine for you and the earrings for someone else. Or the earrings for you and the magazine subscription for someone else. Or just both the subscription and the earrings all for yourself. Go on. We all deserve it this year. Grazyher.com.au Well, I'd love to talk about your, um, your artistic process. Have you always been an artist? I think so. Yeah, I reckon... Um, I started kind of practicing full-time about eight years ago, full-time, but I've always painted and drawn and mucked around and always loved it. Yeah, it's always been my, my memories at, at primary school was the day, you know, the two afternoons a week we got in the art room and I loved it at high school. Um, yeah, and then I studied it. So, yeah, I have, I've always loved art and wanted to do it, yeah. And when did it become a job for you? I um, went to art school at Sydney College of the Arts. Um, the, you know, I had my gap year in Africa and then went to Sydney College of the Arts when I got home. And I mucked around for a few years after that, not really knowing what to do with myself. Worked a bit in some commercial galleries in Sydney and did some other horrific jobs. Um, <laughs> and then I moved back to Wagga and... Um, got a job a really um awesome foot in the door at uh, the museum back here and worked at the museum for a few years and then actually ended up going back to uni and doing my master's in teaching thinking maybe that's a good kind of consistent solid you know sure thing mm. um only to teach for six months after that and think I, that's just not for me I was exhausted <laughs> um and so then when I fell pregnant with Mick and I moved from Queensland back to Sydney um instead of kind of going to look for casual teaching work or a full-time job I, I thought oh it's my, maybe this is my chance to kind of settle in and give it a, a, a red hot crack and really it probably took four years from there to, for me to, I guess, build a, build a consistent um, style and, and feel and vibe around my art. Um, You know, but, but I needed that time to explore and experiment. And, and in all that time I was hosting exhibitions or having exhibitions, um, you know, in, in like at the Wagga Art Gallery and some independent shows in Sydney um, which I loved and, but yeah, it probably was when I moved back to, when we moved back to Wagga, I was pregnant with, um, our third baby and we were living in a two bedroom apartment in Sydney. Um, so it was time to get real and we, and dad was ready to move off the farm. So we're really lucky with that transition. Um, and probably setting up my studio out here in the wool shed gave me a bit of a different feeling about my practice. And I've, and it's really kind of settled into um, a style and a kind of conceptual, there's conceptual practice behind it that, I, that I'm really excited about and it's really easy to paint now. It's really easy mm. to explore and I don't have so many, I guess, reservations and artist blocks as I used to have. Mm. Um, so I think it's probably come into its own in the last four or five years, but, you know, I guess I was been painting, you know, full time ish for eight, but that's in and around three kids. So it's, mm. there's nothing really full time about it as mm-hmm. you would appreciate. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm just on one. So I can't imagine three. <laughs> you create these really oh. large scale, I would say very emotive, quite visceral landscapes. Mm. Um, how important is being in the landscape 
of you know the countryside and around Wagga to your work and and what is your practice like can you talk me through a bit of that conceptual work that you're you are using yeah um I the, the, about four years ago I had a um, solo show at the Wagga Art Gallery and um my kind of concept around that to try and again just relinquish a bit of control and just step back and um allow my work to be really fluid and really respond directly to nature was to work and work and work and then um probably at the final process of of the work leave them outside in and it was it was through winter this exhibition i seem to create shows in the middle of winter which is not the best <laughs> for my health because i'm working in a big open air 1910s wool shed with like massive gaps in the walls and um it's a bit of a wind channel but i would leave the works it does makes me work hard and fast makes me drink a bit too much red wine when i'm in there at night to warm up but um (laughs) it um it um make yeah so the idea was that i would leave the works out at night and then i would kind of whether or not it was kind of really wet whether it was dewy whether it was a still clear night um it was really interesting to see the oil paints kind of react and resist to whatever was happening. So mm-hmm. if it was a really dewy night, the, the kind of, um, I guess the water residue or the dew would sit on the art and then it would kind of react with the oil and it would give these beautiful um, kind of forced marks or it would um, kind of almost create like a lightning bolt effect through the oil paint. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, bugs would kind of drop and drag you know there would be little kind of bug dragging feet mark across the works or leaves would fall on it and leave really light kind of motifs and um so that was a really kind of fun way of kind of getting to the end as you know everyone always asks how do you know when a painting is finished and I think that this was my way of letting go of that little process Mm because it's really hard to know it's hard to know when to stop it's hard to know sometimes you don't stop and you go too far and you can't get back to where you want to be. And so I was getting to this post period of my process and I would leave it outside. And then that was the end for me. Um, and then this more recent exhibition at um, Mama, the museum in Albury, I created the entire series outside. So that kind of even pushed the, that conceptual um, practice to another level. Um, and it was really fun. So this, the kind of idea behind this was to, again, really, I guess, focus less on what I see. Even though, even though my paintings aren't realistic, they're very interpretive, um, but really focus less on what I see and um, immerse myself in the environment in, on, on, our, on our family farm and um, paint kind of what I smell, hear and feel um more so you're painting these you're painting these at night aren't you yeah these ones were through this series this most recent series which i'll hopefully have up online you know in the next few days was all painted in the night so under the moon under the moonlight so which it was incredible how much my eyes adjusted once you Mm. kind of sit in the dark you really do start seeing much more than you you would be able to but the tree and the landscape are more kind of shadows and silhouettes and um, it's very kind of um, very interpretive and very kind of ethereal and um, and it was really fun and I and I used a minimum minimal kind of palette for this series because obviously it just like logistically getting all these paints out into a winter's night up on top of a hill was not that easy um, and, and often when I was painting, like I couldn't actually see which colour I was selecting because, um, and I was trying to mix colours, but this, this was a part of the challenge. So mm. my idea was to not be frustrated by this, but let this be. Um, and it really did make me kind of focus in on other senses than sight. Yes. And, um, and, you know, that whole idea of really feeling connected to country and respecting, respecting it. And I, um, and I, that was the kind of pretense behind it was to kind of let go of aesthetic boundaries and just, just let go and just mark, make and feel and paint. And 
and it was so fun. It was, it was awesome. And, and it was so interesting, even me judging my own art. So I would bring it back into the studio and like, look at it under my um, spotlights under my yeah, studio lighting, which is from Bunnings. Um, and like, I couldn't, I couldn't dislike what I saw because I, because I was so attached to the experience I just had. And I think that's kind of, and I, so it will be really interesting to see how the audience responds to it because it's not your probably standard commercial painting as such, yes. but um, a much more kind of, yeah, intuitive um, fluid painting based on, yeah, senses other than sight. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it sounds actually like such a moving process for you to go through and quite primal really. And you mm. can't not let go of perfectionism because you can't see no. It's just a, yeah. it's a complete surrender, which I just think is such a, an interesting exercise and probably so good. I remember doing in, in India when I did my yoga teacher training, I, uh, we had 24 hours of silence. And mm. when we live in a world just saturated with stimulation mm. and <clears throat> we talk, it's just a stream of consciousness, really. I will, I certainly for me with verbal diarrhea. So for me, yeah. <laughs> I have to sit back and button my lips and just observe and think yeah it was such an interesting exercise and I imagine it would be quite similar painting in the dark or painting under yeah the light. <clears throat> that's right really similar idea I didn't take music up as well like I just really tried to um and someone actually asked was I scared because I mean it's probably it's up on a hill it's probably um a hill we call picnic which is actually where my brother and his wife got married and you know we've had lots of gatherings where we have a bonfire and where we usually host barbecues and stuff um I and it's probably a k and a half away from the house or a k away no a k and a half and but I, it wasn't I wasn't I didn't feel alone even mm. though there was no one else up there with me um and I didn't feel scared and I didn't even want the music. And, and it did, it was one of those, it was felt a bit, which I do get a bit with my art, even in a controlled environment when I'm painting, I can get lost. I literally like can step up and two hours have passed. I'm like, yikes, I don't even know where I've been. Wow. But this was like, you know, it would be 10 p.m. and it would come up, you know, two or three hours had passed. And I literally had, it was all body immersed. I don't even know where that time went. And because I wasn't, um, cause I had no control over aesthetically what I was doing. Um, it was really, um, yeah, it was a really exciting way of painting and putting, putting feelings and marks down on like the three big paperworks that, um, that I've created for mama for this, um, show at the Aubrey art gallery, are so textured and thick because I just kept layering and layering until I could kind of see there be tonal elements. But I, mm. I, I assumed there was because I could see the depth in like the tones, but I couldn't see really what color it was. And, and also this series, it kind of looks like all the trees are floating because I, because I hadn't really, I didn't, I couldn't really see them anchored to anything. It was almost like I could see, you know, the broccoli top of the tree as a floating element. So a lot of them um, that, yeah, it does kind of appear as if the trees are floating and that was kind of, yeah, what I could see. I could see a little bit, a little bit of reflection off a dam. So the moon shining on the dam and I could see a few reflections off that. So it was like, I was trying to capture it, but it was that idea of too, just letting go of any um, technical training because mm. you couldn't really see, and it also didn't matter. That yeah. was the whole idea. So yeah. yeah, it was it was interesting. Yeah, it sounds quite ghostly, and and it does make mm. us. Well, it makes me think. What are we scared of in the dark? What is it that? Why are we just mm. told that we should be scared, and mm. so we are. Uh, I think that's a really interesting concept. For it'll be so interesting. I can't wait to to hear how they are received. How do yeah. you balance? Um, the commercial viability of artistry and your own creative flow. Mm. That is a um, tough question and one an that age I old think, one. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always tough, and you always kind of. I think I've probably got to a point um, where I've you know worked long enough and hard enough that I can 
I, I kind of have a um, sense of confidence now with my style. I mean, you always get tangled up. You, you can't help but not listen to what people tell you they want <laughs> um, and galleries and, um, and just society, the industry, you know, I'm on social media and I, I'm often looking and I think even just with this last series of works, doing what I did, I would come back and feel refreshed and a bit cleansed from everything else everyone else was doing. And it's really important to keep checking in on yourself, not getting absorbed in what other people are doing because you can just find yourself lost and mm. not on a kind of consistent road if you keep looking back to what other people are doing. Because And I think it's important to keep remembering it's not your journey, like their journey is not yours. So mm. kind of take the time to work out, I guess, what it is you want and I guess that's what this is for me a little bit it's um unique experience that kind of has evolved over the last three or four years since we moved out here and it's really it's such a tough one I I have I kind of know off I know what sells but the way I work and the way I kind of probably um keep check on my soul is I can't keep painting the same thing. It's just, it's not what I can do. I um, kind of almost as soon as somebody tells me they want something, I'm like, Oh, that's done. I can't do that again. <laughs> so it's a bit of a funny, it's a bit of a funny one. And I, and I think that every time I create a new body of work, people are like, Oh, like this is your best. I thought the last one was your best. Now this is your best. And I think um, that exploration is just really important for me and for my um, being in my practice at the end of the day I guess when I start creating work that um, means a lot to me but just doesn't sell I guess I'll have to work out what I'm happy to um, mm. compromise on there but at this point kind of things seem to you know I think if I'm kind of painting with this idea of responding to nature um, and like you know very directly responding to nature using found objects to paint in my work and, um, you know, exploring those different kind of more um, environmental elements in my art that there's not really any wrong or right. I feel like there's enough people who kind of um, respond and respect and, and like that exploration that it doesn't aesthetically matter so much what it is that ends up coming out. But, um, yeah, it is a fine line and, the gallery um, that I've recently signed with Otomies in Melbourne, you know, they were really receptive, uh, you know, a thing that got me really excited about meeting with them and signing with them was that they were um, really open to my regional projects. And, um, and that made me feel really happy because, you know, they're a, they're a city gallery um, and I guess they know what sells and, but, but they also understood that it's really important for my practice that, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to, kind of, um, you know, keep, keep doing these regional projects and um, keep kind of working outside in the elements and I guess just see where it goes from there. The other thing is, you know, you paint for exhibition and to sell and then, um, you know, I was a part of a really exciting um, festival up in the Snowy Valleys at the start of this year. It was in response to the bushfires last year and um, there I created a body of art and it was 50 flags to represent the 50 days of the fire gave threat. Um, and I painted on canvases and then I, and I, and then I tore them into flags and they hung from these beautiful old um, European birch trees. And I guess having an outlet to um, experiment and explore through art through that means. And then, and then also mm -hmm. having um, a gallery outlet makes it kind of, that's probably a pretty good balance. Yeah, it, it does sound trite, but staying in your lane and being authentic does obviously truly resonate with yeah. your your audience. Um, but this is still your bread and butter, and I think mm. that is a I, I think that is a really great takeaway. What you said at the start, you have worked really hard to get to where you are now. So mm. perhaps for emerging artists or for those starting out, you can't necessarily come in swinging saying, well, I only paint what I want to paint. It, you you yeah. get to that stage and it evolves organically. Um, but I also think it's 
I know it's true for me as a writer and I imagine it would be similar for you as an artist because you don't take commissions anymore. So how do you mm-hmm. ensure that you are coming from a place of abundance rather than scarcity, rather than clutching at every commission that comes through the door, but having the confidence, you know, to produce your own work. Like, I think, and the other thing I was, guess I was just thinking when you, when you just responded then was at the start, like some, like I, I have worked really hard and, and then some other people kind of come straight out of art school or, or haven't been to art school and they have such a um, strong connection with what they want to do and how that's going to look and it can just work straight mm. out, you know, mm. without, without having to be doing the hard slog. So, and, you know, or they kind of come out and, you know, they appeal to a gallery straight up and then they're, you know, straight into a supported network. Mm. Um, so it's everyone's really different I needed that time I know I've needed kind of the from 24 to kind of 32 I, I, I was really I didn't have a consistent um feel through my art and it's sold I was able to sell it but it kind of wasn't kind of wasn't wasn't kind of feeling like um super content in my own being with it but yeah it's it is an interesting kind of um balance and I just there's not there's just just doesn't feel like there's a formula to it either it really is so so individual well from this very um non-artistic bystander your works are remarkable and I just love them they really thank you so uh everybody go and check out Juju's Instagram right now drop what you're doing but (laughs) it has been such a pleasure to chat Ju, thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and for being so generous, walking through your life and um, and that of Jackie's and, and your artistic process. So thank you oh, so thanks. much. Can't wait to see what Lovely. you do next. Awesome. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. I found this conversation like a cool drink of water. Juju is so refreshing. I love her frankness and her humour and her considered approach to life and her work. I love her art and her conceptual practice. It's so interesting and alive. Julia is represented by Melbourne's modern and contemporary art gallery, Otomies. She'll be exhibiting there with a solo exhibition later this year. You can check her out on Instagram at underscore Julia underscore Roche. Or you can see Julia's work and her studio in the spring edition of Grazy Her, on sale now. And wow, what a cracker. This edition is bigger with more stories on more women all over Australia. I love spring magazine issues. They feel so optimistic and hopeful. I always want to give things a deep clean and swap over my winter woolies for my summer dresses when I read them. You can find it at all good news agents or subscribe at grazyher.com.au and have it delivered to your mailbox. As always, you'd be doing us a great kindness by giving our potty a rate and review. Tag us in your social media stories with a photo of where you're listening from. Double points for this episode if it's while you're painting. This is a Grazy Her podcast produced by Manson and Company.